That, that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. And we're back in live. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week. Hello, everyone. This episode is brought to you by the ADL Ski Club once again. I'll tell you more about them after the interview. Let me address the elephant in the room. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, big news this podcast. I told you last podcast, I had some news for you. Um, I will be stepping away from the podcast for the time being. I have absolutely loved learning how to podcast and be some sort of journalist in the past, um, if you can believe it, 17 episodes. This is my 17th episode, and I also did two live shows on Facebook. Um, And I really appreciate every one of you listening in each week. The podcast has grown by like 40%, and that's thanks to you, my loyal listeners, telling your friends and subscribing. So I thank you for that and for your enthusiasm for ski racing, which I will say is one of the greatest uses of gravity on this planet. Now, it feels selfish to step down, and it sucks that I can't give you all the reasons. Ultimately, it comes down to making sure that I'm giving 100% to my ski racing career. I've worked my entire life to get to the edge of the World Cup, uh, and they say this is the hardest part, actually making it and establishing yourself in the World Cup. So it's going to take all of my being I've received a lot of messages from people telling me to keep up the good work, and it kills me now to have to step away, but uh, it's what's best for me, and I hope you understand that. However, I decided that if I was going to leave you guys for a while, I was going to leave you with the best I could possibly muster, a doubleheader, and not only that, but the greatest female skier to walk this earth joins me on this episode. I am pretty darn excited. Before we get to that, quickly, headlines. There's just one this week. Go on SkiRacing.com and it'll be pretty clear. Yet again, there's a dispute about philosophies on paths to the World Cup. As you can imagine, it involves college racing versus the U.S. ski team. I don't have time to talk about it, so visit the site. There's plenty to read. And if you want a more in-depth look, listen to my podcast, Episode with EDT's Morgan from a few weeks ago. And now, without further ado... The 20-time World Cup Globe winner, four-time World Cup overall champion, four-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist, two-time world champion, two-time book author, 82-win phenom, and now, one-time guest of this podcast, Lindsey Vaughn. All right, Lindsey Vaughn, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jimmy. So where are you calling from? I am actually in Los Angeles currently, um, kind of as soon as the lockdown happened, uh, we were in New Jersey, uh, PK and my fiance and I, and so we uh, came out to LA to escape the hot zone and uh, get to some nice weather. So it's been pretty nice out here the last couple months. Nice. And and what have you been up to? Um, You know, I've been working... A lot. Uh, I think I'm a Zoom professional at this point. (laughs) Um, You know, just we're trying to pitch ideas and we've got, um, you know, I have my production company um, and uh, PK has his. So, you know, we're pitching a lot of ideas to people. Um, You know, we've got our own production stuff going on currently. Um, I'm filming a show right now and I'm I'm actually going to leave on Friday to go out there and and uh, finish filming because we got it shut down, you know, because of Corona. So be excited to kind of get back, um, get back to work and out of the house. But yeah, still we've been, we've been really busy and, you know, working out in the garage and trying to stay fit and not get the COVID-19. That's why I call it the weight gain, you know, the COVID-19 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some videos. You definitely look like you've been working out hard. Um, and, And you mentioned the production company and, that brings me perfectly into my first question, which is about your HBO documentary, um, about your final season. That was the 2018-2019 uh, season. Um, and that was a, I mean, that was really emotional. Any ski racer who watched that, any person who watched that was like, wow, 
you know, you went through some shit. And, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, you know, wondering how you feel now. Um, oh, I, oh, I did want to mention that the HBO documentary is up for two sports Emmys, which is super cool. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thinking about that documentary, anyone who hasn't seen it should watch it. But, um, like, now that you're a year removed from ski racing, how does it feel? I know that retirement is hard on ski racers. Yeah, you know, I I thought it would be easier than it was. Um, I, you know, I had always kind of prepared for that moment. You know, I, I always knew that there was life after skiing and that, mm-hmm. you know, I would have to transition and, and have things set up so that, you know, I could still be challenged and still be working. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to retire and just take time off. Like that's, I'm just a worker. Like that's how I operate. I, I like to be busy. I like to be constantly working. Um, but you know, I got done with racing and I was, you know, just at home and I was like, Oh, I'll take a couple days off. It only took me like a day and a half. And I called my agent. I was like, I need to do something right now. Like, you know, like, well, but you want some time off? I'm like, absolutely not. And so, you know, I just, I don't know. It was, it was weird for me because even though I had work to do, um, and I had engagements and, um, you know, jobs and things like that, it's still, my life changed after skiing because skiing was no longer the center of my universe. You know, before yeah. I always, everything revolved around ski racing, you know, what time I woke up, what, what I ate, you know, when I worked out, how I worked out. Um, you know, I could only do a certain amount of meetings a day because I had to rest and take a nap and then work out again. You know, everything, no matter what I did revolved around skiing. And then I woke up one day and I didn't have that. And mm-hmm. it was, um, definitely a shock to the system, but I've gotten through it. You know, it was about six to eight months where it was really difficult and, um, was pretty depressed and I don't know, yeah. it was, it was hard, but now I, I feel like I've gotten back on my feet and. I've got a lot of fun projects that have been challenging me. And I think that's really helped, you know, stay positive and have a better outlook. Um, And now I kind of am at the point where I can't imagine going back to skiing. You know, I've kind of come full circle and um, (laughs) yeah, it's weird. I feel like I'm in a good place in my life now. And um, I mean, my body's so physically damaged that it's, you know, I hurt all the time and I'm just working out in the gym. Like I'm not even really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it just kind of confirms every day to me that I, I, I'd made the right decision there. There was no other option. And, um, but still sometimes, you know, makes me jealous. I, when I talk, you know, you say you've been training at copper, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to train at copper too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I just can't. So I don't know. It's a different, definitely an adjustment for sure. Mm-hmm. So, do you think you'll uh, you'll like free ski around or do any fun races? Or your, will your body be able to handle that in the future? I don't know. I mean, I've kind of been watching Axel, and you know, he like goes and hangs out with the other guys when they're training, like the Norwegians. And mm-hmm. I kind of think it'd be fun if I just like jumped in and did some super G every once in a while. But um, probably cool. have to sign some like crazy liability uh, contracts. <laughs> yeah, you know, signing my life away, but. I don't know. I would love to just kind of go fast every once in a while. And, um, it, I mean, it's definitely hard being a, a normal pedestrian, you know, yeah. I've got to follow the slow signs and, um, it's weird, but, uh, I want to keep, you know, I want, I want to obviously ski for fun and ski with my family. Just, um, yeah. right now it's kind of work is more important and trying to get this next phase of my career going and, once I do that, and if I have time, I definitely want to keep skiing and um, keep enjoying the mountain. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually I'm sure the uh, the women's team would appreciate you coming back and kind of jumping back in again. Um, but so your <laughs> your um, your World Cup career was, you know, unfortunately defined by your injuries, but it was defined in kind of a not you know Lindsay always got hurt, but kind of in a Lindsay always could come back. Like you injured your knee in, in, uh, in 2013 and re-injured it going to the Olympics in 2014. So you couldn't race the Olympics, but then you came back the next year and won, I think like your second race back at Lake Louise. Um, and you know what I, you know, I crash and I find like 
it's hard to get back in the course the same day or the next day because your body like doesn't want to crash again. Like how do you mentally overcome that challenge? Um, I mean, I'm a little bit nuts, so <laughs> <That helps. laughs> like, you know, I, it definitely helps in that regard. Like I don't, I've never really second guessed, you know, when I'm in the starting gate, what I'm doing. Um, I feel like, you know, everyone falls and especially ski racers, it's always going to happen no matter what you do, no matter how perfect you are or how perfect your technique is or how much you prepare, you're always going to crash at some point or you should, because otherwise mm-hmm. you're, if you're not crashing, you're not pushing yourself pushing hard it. enough. But you know, that's just a part of the process and you learn from crashing, you learn, you know, what not to do, mm-hmm. um, and what was, what was going right. And, um, you know, I feel like, okay, a crash, I, I learned, I'm getting back up and I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it again better. Mm-hmm. So I never really, even, even after all the injuries, you know, it's like when I'm in the starting aid, my mind is purely on going as fast as humanly possible. You know, I've mm-hmm. never, and, and that's why I'm weird. You know, I, 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 I just don't think that way. I have a really short term memory. Like I, I kind of mm. feel like I'm like a goldfish, you know, like four or five seconds. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's then it's good. gone. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I learn, I, I crash, I learn, I erase. And uh, I think that's helped me, you know, get back up every time. Yeah. And that, um, you know, now I'm curious, like, what, uh, you know, that's really helpful advice. And, and, and I asked Ted, like, a really point blank question. I said, What is the secret to GS? So is that the secret to downhill? Just you know, no fear. Yeah. I mean, you just got to get, have balls, man. You just got to go, <laughs> you know, like yeah. honestly, that's like, that's the one thing that I've known about all like the most successful downhillers is they just don't give a flying F like they yeah. just go, you know, like they have, they're all a little bit nuts and, uh, you know, they're a little bit compulsive, like adrenaline junkies, you know, we're all kind of downhillers are kind of, that's how we're built, you know? Yeah. We drive our cars fast, like we just, you know, we like the speed. And uh, I feel like, you know, you just have to have balls and trust yourself and, you know, throw yourself down the mountain. And um, the easier that is for you, the faster you're going to go. Do you get a lot of speeding tickets? Oh, I got my <laughs> license taken away. Really? Yeah, was, yeah you know, uh, it was... Yeah, it was like two years. I lost my license. Do they ever go easy on you because you're like, you know, Lindsey Vaughn? In Europe, yeah. Europe's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, if they pull you over, I just, you know, sign a couple autograph cards and it's good to go. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> unless it's radar and then like, but I, I've got a Hawkeye, you know, I always, I, I, I find that driving and looking for radar detectors is, um, is really fun because it's mm-hmm. challenging. I'm always like looking ahead just like I do in skiing and I'm always yeah. like scanning the surroundings, trying to find the radar boxes, pretty good at it. Um, but there's, you know, definitely a couple that have slipped through and I've gotten a bill later on, but, yeah. um, yeah, I wish it was a little bit easier in the U S but yeah. But the nice thing about LA is that there's so much traffic, you know, I can't even speed. So I'm kind of controlled out here. Yeah. Cooped up. Um, what, so what, what sort of advice would you give, Um, you know, I'm trying to make that step to the world cup, um, from the Norams, um, you know, what, what sort of, what kind of helped you in making that step? You know, it's a super difficult step and a lot of people don't make it. Um, I mean, I kind of went, you know, Noram Europa cup world cup, and then I actually got demoted back down to Europa cup. So I feel like it's a process, you know, um, I mean, very few maybe one or two people only have really, you know, skipped that step or, you know, jumped up to world cup and really been successful right away. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a learning process. You know, I think, I think Norium's Europa cups, that level is really good for you to kind of get your reps in, you know, mm-hmm. hone in your, your, your race routine and um, what you need as a racer to be successful. And then it's about translating that, you know, up to the world cup. It really doesn't change um, your approach shouldn't change necessarily. Um, and you know, just the fact that you're on a bigger stage shouldn't change the way you race. It's more of a mental adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think it's important to just kind of, when there's no pressure, you know, Norm's Europe cups, just 
you know, ski and find your, find your routine. You know, everyone has their own uh, method and um, their own preparation. And that's the perfect place to really hone that in and then, you know, carry that over to world cup once you get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, I was talking to Luke winners and he was saying, you know, he, he made a kind of a, a short jump onto the world cup scored in one race. Um, and he was saying, you know, you got to treat it like any other race. Um, and, and that's the way to do it. Um, what was the most, what was your favorite, uh, world cup venue to race on? Um, (laughs) I mean, probably like like Louise because it won (laughs) so many times. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I love Cortina. Mm -hmm. I thought that was one of like the most spectacularly beautiful places to race. And it's Cortina as, as with Lake Louise, they're, they're high speed downhill courses. And, and I, that's what I really love is, um, you know, high speed, long sweeping turns, big jumps, you know, the Tofana shoes and Cortina is epic. I mean, doesn't really get any better than that on the women's side. Yeah. Um, but, uh, also like St. Anton, I loved racing St. Anton on the, the men's uh, world championship track. That thing was awesome. It was super gnarly and sketchy, but awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I would, you said Lake Louise and it reminded me you were so dominant at Lake Louise. One year you were going to race with the men. So whatever happened with that was, what were the obstacles? Uh, fish shut me down. Uh. Um, you know, fist didn't even really consider it. Um, had a couple of proposals, um, that we put forward in the council and I mean, it was kind of laughed out the door, you know, none of the, the guys running the, running fist really wanted anything to do with it. Even though I had a, a lot of support from a lot of the top athletes, including Axel, the Norwegians, um, and, uh, and I, and the Canadian Federation as well, obviously, cause it's Lake Louise. They thought it would be amazing, but, yeah. um, you know, fist just didn't have the, the foresight. They said their reasoning was that, um, men's world cup is for men and women's world cup is for women. And I said, well then, okay, like I'll, you know, give up my points and I'll, you know, just transfer over and I'll, you know, go to some fist races. Identify as a man. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, for the sake of just, you know, bucking the system, but I ended up getting too injured and, um, they didn't even agree to it. You know, even if I, did you know uh-huh. give up my 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 uh, points as a woman um so it just ended up being like i ran out of time you yeah. know and never really made any progress and it was really disappointing because um of all the things that i've that i've done in my career that was one thing that i really thought would be amazing for the sport yeah and i really thought that that would propel us in a totally new realm and and uh just no one in the no one making the the decisions had the foresight to do it yeah i mean it would have been great for the sport it would have been great for you know young female athletes around the world to see um when yeah exactly you know have you trained with um some world cup guys like how how close are you do you do you beat them ever yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, I train with, you know, Axel and the Norwegians in, in, in Portillo, Chile, um, almost every summer. Um, also, the Canadian men like Eric Gay and those guys. And, you know, it was nice when all the Norwegians were on head because then we could always, you know, I could always talk shop with them and see what they were using. And mm-hmm. um, Axel, um, Axel kind of like the opposite of me, which was really interesting. Like he liked soft skis and I like super stiff skis. Um, so it didn't always like translate into things that, that helped me on the equipment side, but I mean, I love, I love watching and learning, you know, I love Mm -hmm. studying other people and figuring out, you know, what, what makes them fast. And, and if I can use anything from what they do, um, for myself, you know, um, and, uh, I mean, in my prime, you know, like 2011, 2012, um, we were training in Portillo and, I actually, no, it was a 10, 11. Yeah, 10, 11, summer of 10. And I, uh, we did some timing and for side by side, we didn't actually time, but we did some side by side. And I actually was like 300 behind Axel on the plateau, which is really, <laughs> which was super steep. And like, 
I was like, are you shitting me? There's no way I'm, you know, that close. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he was, he was, you know, maybe he wasn't being super aggressive. I don't know, but, um, I've definitely been close, you know, we, we train with, uh, the Austrian men in copper and I've been right in there with those guys, mm-hmm. like back when Herman was training with us. And, you know, cool. I definitely was competitive when, um, I was not injured. Um, so I know that I could have competed. I don't know if I would have been, you know, top 10, maybe top 30. And I would have been happy with that. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Well, I guess it's for, um, you know, it's, it's one of the few things you couldn't accomplish because you, you basically did it all. And it's, I guess it's for the next, um, you know, female superstar to try. Um, do you ever think about how, you know, you're you've inspired a generation of of young skiers and and who inspired you i do think about that a lot i mean not in an arrogant way just in a like it makes me proud kind of way you know i i grew up watching peekaboo and and ski racing wasn't really on television at the time so it was like world championships and, and olympics that were you know the only thing available and also like we used to get the VHS tapes of the World Cup winning runs. You know, it's not like everyone's got dartfish now and we can analyze, you know, every single run. And back then it was like, you know, a, a chintzy VHS tape. And yeah. so I would watch as much as I could. But Peekaboo was always my, you know, she was my idol. And um, I met her when I was nine years old at a, at Pierce's Skate and Ski in Minnesota. And um, because I met her, I wanted to be an Olympian. And so... Um, she really inspired me. And, and so I, I've always tried to, you know, be what she was to me to other girls and mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I started my foundation. And, and um, it's just, you know, it, it's about paying it forward. And uh, I hope that I've done that. And, you know, because it's it's not really that fun to be successful if you can't share it with people and help people and help other people you know, accomplish their dreams as well. Cause it's pretty lonely at the top of the top of the podium. If you, uh, are selfish that way. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, as a role model, oh, I wanted to talk about actually the uh, foundation since you mentioned it, um, just for people who don't know about it. Um, can you tell us like what it does and, and what your vision is for it in the future? Yeah. Thanks Jimmy. I mean, I started it in, uh, 2015 um, it was kind of like the best thing that came out of all my injuries during that 2013-14 time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and our mission is to empower and inspire young girls. And so we have scholarship programs for educational-based programs and sports programs. Um, we're working with dicks to, you know, really help kids in sports. But, you know, I wanted, I always like it to be 50-50. You know, I think education is so important. And um, I don't want, you know people to not be able to be educated because they don't have the money for it. So um, we try to help in that way as much as we can. We have strong girls camps or like weekend camps where we teach girls about, um, you know, positive body image and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, positive mental talk and things like that. And I actually work with um, Z girls, which is run by my former teammate from the USB team, Libby Ludlow. Mm -hmm. So that kind of came full circle. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's just been really rewarding. You know, these girls are so um, smart and ambitious and hardworking. And I, I really um, just want to help them succeed in their their own goals in life. That's cool. Um, you know, I, I had a question, you know, um, you are engaged to PK Subin. So for those who don't know, he's a very good um, NHL hockey player. And did you learn anything from him as a fellow athlete? Um, you know, we kind of started dating um, right around the 2018 Olympics. And mm-hmm. um, he never dated another athlete before. So I think it was a little bit of an adjustment for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I kind of retired like, you know, shortly after like we we were engaged. It was kind of like. He w- I wasn't really competing that much when we were together. Mm-hmm. I was mostly more so injured than anything else. And I think, you know, he was really supportive, but, um, you know, and he's obviously very tough. He's a hockey player. I mean, these guys, you know, go to war and chuck each other into the, you know, the boards yeah. every night. <clears throat> so he understands toughness and 
um, work ethic and all of that. And but uh, I think it was just more so nice to have someone supporting me because it was a, a definite last season was incredibly difficult and yeah. um, it would have been tough for me to do it on my own. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure the documentary only showed part of it, but it, it definitely seemed difficult. Um, and, and now you, you know, you've achieved this sort of celebrity status, like a very real celebrity status in the U S um, which is super cool because our sport is so small and so few people know about it. Like most people you talk to, they go, is, is that the one where you go around the sticks? You know? So, yeah. Or like water skiing. I'm like, no, no not water skiing. No, snow. there's snow. And... Yeah. And they think we do tricks and stuff. And so, yeah. Do you go up the jumps? No, we don't go up the jumps. Yeah. So my question about that is like, um, you know, did you kind of try to achieve that status? Like, did you, you kind of know the impact you have you know, being in the public eye, like for our sport and getting more awareness for our sport? You know, I definitely didn't try to do that. I, I always tried to, you know, I always thought that part of my job was, you know, you know, TV interviews, stuff like that. That's all a part of your job mm-hmm. as, as an athlete these days, you know, there's very few people like maybe Sidney Crosby is the only person that, that I know that's top of their sport that doesn't have Instagram and doesn't do like any marketing or media of any kind, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very rare. Um, most people like, you know, you look at, uh, LeBron, Kobe, they all have their own production companies. Um, you know, Steph Curry has his own production company, Katie, you know, all athletes are so different now and their job description is so different. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've kind of always looked at, you know, ski racing as, as a business, you know, what I do on the Hill, that's my love. That's my passion. That's, that's my workplace, but there's also a whole nother side of it. That's, that's part of my job. And that's being a good role model. That's, you know, doing interviews, that's helping the sport grow. That's inspiring the next generation. Like all of those things I think are, are all a part of my job as an athlete. And a lot of people don't feel that way, you know, especially in ski racing, um, you know, they think that, you know, maybe media or social media is a distraction. I know I got a lot of, I got a hard time, you know, with when I started using GoPros and filming my training and everyone's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, this is cool. Like I want to show how we go 90 miles an hour. Like this is what people want to see. And it doesn't take any time away from myself. You know, it's just a matter of sharing what I'm already doing. And so, you know, I've always kind of just taken that approach and it's always paid off, you know, and, Unfortunately, I guess I'm, I'm maybe fortunately, but I've always had a lot of uh, drama in my life for some reason. Like it always follows me around. Like, you know, I'm divorced. I'm single. I'm dating. You know, I'm my broke my you know my my arm. I you know blew up my knee. I broke my ankle. I you know sliced my finger. Like it's like never ending, you mm. know stuff that yeah. happens all the time. And so there's there was inherently always a story to be told about me. And I think that just the, the compounding effect of those stories plus my success um, led to kind of where I am now as far as, you know, how people view me in, in the public eye. Um, I can't say, you know, the, the private life stuff is great. You know, it's, it's definitely weird and, you know, you have people flying drones to try to take pictures like really? while you're in your backyard. Like, you know, I buy a house and everything's all over the Internet. Like, it's just there is a, a level of privacy that just doesn't I just don't get anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's fine. I understand that. You know, I think there are always certain limits where you have to, you know, draw the line. But um, I don't complain about it because that's just part of the deal, you know, mm-hmm. Um if you want to be in the public eye, there's a price you pay and, and privacy is that price. So, um, but I didn't, I definitely didn't intend to like, you know, be in the public eye in the way that I am to answer <laughs> yeah. the long winded answer of your question. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, you know, there's, you know, you say there's so much, um, negative stuff that comes with it, but you know, I think that, you know, the sport appreciates, um, you know, you giving us, you know, any sort of, any sort of publicity. Um, definitely. Um, you know, uh, in 
terms of your early career, because I was curious, and this is always something that comes up. Um, you know, you were a slalom skier because you you grew up at Buck Hill, and you ended up being a speed skier. I think the first World Cup you won was a slalom. And do you think you could speak to anything about that in terms of this phenomenon? Like, I know Stephen Nyman won World Junior slalom, and now he's a downhill skier. Um, what do you think about that? My my dad's always told me that. And, uh, you know, he always said all of the great downhillers start off as slalom skiers. Renata Goichel won her first World Cup as a slalom skier. Like, mm-hmm. um, Jan Sakoslic, uh, you know, she was a great all-around skier, but she started off in slalom and then she, you know, was winning downhill. Same with Pernilla Wieberg, won many slalom titles and then started winning downhill titles. Anya Pearson, same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that slalom gives you a great technical base. Um, you obviously have to have kind of the personality type to excel at downhill and super G, but you know, if you have that technical base, you can really branch out to all the different disciplines. I think GS it's hardest to go from slalom to GS. In my opinion, I think it's easier to go from slalom to downhill than slalom to GS. Um, just because like technique and, uh, skill set, um, but I don't know. I, it's weird. My dad, my dad always told me that since the time I was like 12 mm-hmm. and it was kind of based off of also the statistics on, you know, because he always thought that Topolino was, you know, was the stepping stone. And he always said that if I won Topolino, like all of these other greats in the past, then that would kind of mean that I was destined to be successful on the World Cup. And he was right, but that definitely put a lot of pressure on me when I was 13 years old, you know, to win Topolino. Yeah. Is Topolino, <laughs> Topolino is like the U14 or U16 race. Like they get all the young kids from around the world together in, in Italy. Well, I don't even understand what like the U, U14 is. I don't even know what that means. Like we used to use, you know, it was Jays. like J1, J2, J3. And yeah. I'm so, I'm still so confused by that. So U, U means like. What is it like youth 16? So you basically you 14s are what J fours were. Uh, Okay. But they shifted it it back a year, I think. So it was like J four, J five. So it was like, you know, uh, I think two years before fifth. I think it was like 13, 14. Okay. Yeah. So that sounds like you 14. Gotcha. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I mean, my first, my first one was a downhill. Um, but I oh, it was okay. Like, yeah, but my first World Cup race was a slalom. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously started off doing just slalom World Cups, and uh, I was pretty happy when I finally won a slalom because it was like you know back to my roots. And um, but I always struggled with equipment in slalom. Um, I was I'm very like sensitive with equipment and. I don't know, finding the, finding the right setup. And also at the time they were injecting everything. I mean, we, when I was kind of in the slalom mix, they were literally making the hills ice skating rinks. And so I, I struggled with that. I don't, I don't really feel like we should race on ice skating rinks because we're skiers, not skaters. So um, I'm glad that it's not like that anymore, but definitely kind of screwed me for, you know, the, the one, the couple of years that I was really good at slalom. Yeah. You mentioned your setup. Did you have, I know you were really particular about it. Did you have different, how did you adjust your skis and boots um, for different snow conditions? I didn't. You didn't. Okay. I I do not, I don't believe that you should adjust your boots um, for snow conditions. I know a lot of people do that. Like Mm -hmm. I remember Lizzie Gurgle would have a new pair of boots for like every different, like almost every day and uh like different cuffs and different adjustments and i just don't i don't believe in that if you have a good pair of boots it should work in every every condition um it's just a matter of you know how sharp your skis are they're the base bevel you know if you change that a little bit um if it's super icy um so you would change you would change to the tune of your edges or the angle yeah i I would mostly just change um, like most of my skis were actually pretty flat. I really liked having, um, flat skis and, uh, you know, less aggressive boosts, which is pretty counter to what everyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot easier to start the turn. 
um, you get much earlier pressure and it's not as uh, catchy. You know, a lot of times boots are set up way too aggressive and uh, you never get any inside foot. Um, it's you're, you're, you can high side like it's just mm-hmm. I just don't agree with it. So I, I'm very particular and I, I had one I had a pair of boots from I think it was 2013 to the last uh, to like 2017. Oh, wow. One, one pair for downhill in Super G. Um, I had fallen. I was kind of always trying to find something because nothing really worked. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think I had, you know, I had like three years with one pair and two years with another. Once I find something, I really don't like to get rid of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't believe I, I feel like everyone likes to get new boots every year. You don't need new boots every year. If something's working, stay with it. That's you know? interesting because I've, I've heard people say that, oh, you know, boots kind of the plastic gets old or something. I disagree with that entirely. Really interesting. That's good to Some, know. Sometimes, I mean, I think for men, the plastic does go dead a little bit earlier than it does for women. But it's also about taking care of your boots, you know, like, mm-hmm. of course, if you don't wear cat tracks and, um, you know, you're you know, not taking care of your boots, you're leaving them in a hot garage all summer, you know, that's not going to hold up. You have to literally take, like, I cherished my boots. I'm like, these are my money makers. That's what I call them. I call them my money makers. And I, I never checked them in the airplane. Like they were always with me, you know, when mm. I walked on the plane, they were always in temperature controlled rooms, like inside the house. Like I never left them in the garage. I never, I always wore cat tracks. Like I didn't even need new, um, new lifters. Like in the five years or six years that I had my speed boots, like because you only walked on snow. Because I never, I never walked on on anything unless I had my uh, cat tracks on. So yeah. it's a matter of taking care of your stuff. And I think a lot of people don't pay attention to the, the small stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, the small stuff is really the biggest part. You know. Um, and just because people want to sell equipment, you know, every year doesn't mean you need new boots. You can get new skis. That's great. Um, I, I do think that you, you need skis every year or two years because, you know, obviously in speed, you, you know, you don't have uh, the edges don't last super long. And uh, in foam, especially the skis do go dead. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, if you take care of your equipment, it can go a lot longer than you think. And uh, I always feel like if someone has a interesting if you watch the world cup and you know there's someone that has a really great season like an incredible season the next year they're nowhere to be found i would put a million dollars that they got new boots and they weren't good (laughs) that they just they changed things they didn't need to change exactly if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah well we're nearing the end of the interview but um I, I talked to Andre Horton last week, um, who said that Love he, Andre. yeah, <laughs> Andre and Snooki grew up skiing with those guys. Yeah. He said he grew up skiing with you on the team. And, uh, you know, he talked about how, when he retired, he, he missed the, like the camaraderie of, of all of his teammates. And I was just wondering if, if you missed that and if you've kept in touch at all with your old teammates. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm still in touch with all the girls on the speed team and, um, you know, we had like a we called it an injured cation. Um, it was like a bunch of the girls that were injured or coming back from surgery. Um, and then some of the retired girls we never really got to celebrate with, you know, it was like Julia, myself, Stacy cook, um, Loren Ross, uh, Leanne Smith, Alice McKennis, you know, we all kind of got together, Lindsay Winninger, our physio, you know, we, mm-hmm. we all got together and had a, had a nice vacation together. So we kind of, you know, try to do stuff like that, but I miss everybody. And, um, I just kind of, I like keeping tabs on everyone, see if they need any help. And, you know, I always try to lend a hand if I can. And, um, but I miss them. I mean, uh, you know, they're for basically like family, you know, Yeah. especially like, you know, Heinz, my ski technician, like he's literally my family and, uh, I miss him all the time and I still text him and, you know, Hodel Moser, you know, all those guys, Mm-hmm. Trank Walder from Red Bull, you know, I, my team, like I miss my team and, uh, yeah. but I'll, you know, I try to visit them. Um, if I ever, if we ever get back to Europe and the borders open up and, yeah. you know, COVID doesn't 
uh, run our lives. I, you know, want to go back and visit. I was, you know, supposed to get married this summer and, uh, you know, have everyone there, but obviously that didn't happen. So, um, that was kind of going to be like my reunion and see everybody, but, um, you know, hopefully we'll do that next year or, um, we'll figure out another plan, but, um, yeah, I miss everyone. I miss everyone for sure. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Well, my last question is one I ask every guest and, um, this one may get interesting because I, I ask a binary question, um, but you may have a different answer. Eastern mountains or Western mountains? You know, I, I only skied a couple times in the East. Oh. Um, I know I only, I skied at, um, at Whiteface because we had, I oh, know, no, no, not Whiteface, Lake Placid. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Whiteface. Yeah. That's Whiteface. Okay, good. I wasn't sure if I was right on that. But yeah, I, I we trained there a couple of times as like for like a development uh, team camp, um, which I got frostbite literally every time. Sure. Um, so that was a downer, um, but not too dissimilar from Minnesota. And we also had um, nationals there as well. But um, I really never skied in the east. I almost went to actually, I almost went to Burke Academy. Um, but then I, I, my dad, I got this like scholarship because it was so expensive, but, um, I didn't, the reason why I didn't go is because in the brochure, it said that you had to run six miles every morning and there was like a van that follows behind you. And I was like, there's absolutely no way (laughs) running six miles every morning, like never going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota, so I feel like you can't count that as East coast, but it's like flat and you know, it's not icy, but, you know, it's not powder by any means. And then I went out to Colorado and I was, you know, 12. And so, um, skied in the Rocky, like Rocky central division my whole life. So I, I just say, I'd say Rocky central, like, yeah. you know, no East coast, West coast, just say Rocky central is best. Rocky central rep the Rockies. That's a great answer actually, because some people yep. try to say Midwest, but you're just saying Rocky Mountains Rocky Central. and Midwest. That's a, that's a region. That's a whole region. That's a whole region. Like the best region. And uh, that's those are my homies. I'm going to stick to it. Well, you heard it here. Um, Lindsay, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no worries, Jimmy. And uh, I love the podcast. Keep it going. Can't wait to hear more. Lindsay literally had a 45-minute window in her super busy day to fit me in. And I want to thank her for that because it was huge. Now, before I get to the mail reading, and there's a great mail reading this week, I want to talk to you about uh, the fact that today's final episode is again proudly sponsored by the ADL Ski Club. The ADL is reinventing the ski club experience for the modern era with huge gear discounts and small pro-style trips to unique ski destinations all over the world. The ADL is psyched to announce that last week's podcast guest, Benjamin Alexander, listen to the podcast if you haven't, it's a good one has been granted a scholarship from its Two Hammers 501c3 nonprofit to attend next week's ADL Mayor Camp at Mount Hood. The club is super happy to support Benjamin's quest to represent Jamaica at the next Winter Olympics and is looking forward to skiing and training with him on the Palmer Snowfield. Finally, I'm reading this off the script here, guys. Finally, the ADL wants to thank Jimmy Krupka and the Ski Racing Media for including us in these podcasts as we believe strongly that they have been a great contribution to the sport. Always remember, Jimmy, Apre is an attitude. <sighs> Love those guys. Huge thanks to them. They were the first sponsor, first new sponsor of the show, first sponsor I was able to garner. And uh, they're always very enthusiastic about the show, which I really appreciate. Now, if you listen to the show, you know that I have two longtime sponsors. The first is the World Pro Ski Tour. Go to worldproskitour.com to check out all the content, videos, highlights they have of this dual-format, slalom, high-octane, March Madness bracket-style, future of ski racing, so they say, type of skiing. It'll be back next season, so be ready. And also, Sync Performance. That's S-Y-N-C, performance.com. Remember, you can go there and get your ski racing gear that is designed by, designed for, and tested by ski racers. Use the code SRPODCAST20, that's SRPODCAST20, to get 20% off your next purchase. And with that, we move into the mail reading. We've got a lot for you, but it's all good stuff. 
a Tim emailed me about an interview he did with Dr. Strauss of the Norwegian Alpine team regarding injury prevention and skiing. I would have loved to have him on the show. Injury prevention is a really interesting issue that I hope to tackle at some point. I ran out of time to get him on the show, but you can check out the interview on YouTube. Just search, uh, quote, interview with Dr. Mark Strauss. That's M-A-R-C. And then Strauss is S-T-R-A-U with two S's. Uh, second, I was in contact with Racy Stiegler, if you know her. She is a longtime World Cup skier on the slalom side for women. And she will be skiing World Cup slalom again next season. Um, but I couldn't get her on the uh, American slalom episode that I did a couple weeks back. The stars didn't align. We played phone tag. Uh, Racy, I apologize. I couldn't get you on. But you can follow her and her story at Racy Stiegler on Instagram. That's R E S I. Stiegler, S-T-I-E-G-L-E-R. Then a Besnik Sokoli, I hope I pronounced that right, of the Kosovo ski team, DM'd me and said, wishing you all the best, Benjamin is my bro. Uh, and then I got a lot of love, actually, and precisely zero hate um, on last week's episode. Highly recommend it, by the way. Anyway, a Dave DM'd me and said, just listen to the Andre Horton episode. Just wanted to tell you this podcast kicks so much ass right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. And he also said he chooses the West. And Aiden suggests I get someone from one of the ski company race rooms to tell me what goes on into designing and creating race skis. If anyone knows someone like that, um, I don't personally, but if someone does, let me know. Even though I'm done for the moment with the podcast, I'd still love to talk to them. And I've still got my trusty list of ideas for the pod. After last week's episode, a couple of people suggested I talk to Ralph Green, a black American paraskier. Um, actually, I met him a long time ago in Chile. He's got a fascinating story that involves being drafted to the NFL and I believe getting shot, which is how he lost his leg. I would love to have him on, um, but that is obviously something for the future. Aaron Milzinski and River Radimus both posted on Instagram about listening to last week's episode. Amoro says, love this one, keep it up. And then AJ said, so cool, glad they organized this. I had to tell AJ that actually I organized the episode and everything, and I was very proud of it. Lastly, I want to acknowledge that my great uncle Ivo Krupka who, along with my sister, is the only other Krupka to ever be in the Fist catalog, uh, sends me a detailed message after every show. And he's a very loyal listener. And I want to thank him for his feedback, input, enthusiasm. I didn't put him in the mail readings every week, but uh, his mail was much appreciated. Now, I do have a question for you, because just because I'm stepping away from the podcast for a bit doesn't mean any of you should stop sending me mail. Remember, ski racing this week at gmail.com or Instagram at jimmy underscore who underscore. My question is, uh, does anybody like those correspondents I have in the show, like Helmut Verha and Christopher Hendrickson and Aunt Betty? If you do, send me a message. I'd love to know. I didn't know if anyone liked them anymore, so I stopped doing them. Give me a follow on Instagram if you want to keep track of me. Send me ideas. Ask me for advice. And... Uh, Hopefully, if I come back, I'll have a whole lot of great content. If you see me on the slopes, make sure to say hi. It'll be kind of crazy. My voice will sound exactly the same as it does on these podcasts. Let's keep this sport strong, totally awesome, and the best use of gravity there is. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week, Ski Racing Media's official podcast. See you later.